Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Parshas Tazriah, and it's also Parshas HaChodesh. This is the final of the four parashas that we're in during this time of year, Parshas HaChodesh. So we're going to talk about how, how, uh, continue Hochus Pesach, and this week we're going to discuss cashering for Pesach. And we're going to work through the different methods of cashering, and we'll try to do a kitchen walkthrough to see which method is needed where. So first of all, it's important to know that cashering doesn't work for anything that's ceramic. So uh, ceramic sink, ceramic crockpot, china, all those things can't be cashered. Mugs, well, anything made out of ceramic can't be cashered. Plastic and rubber technically can be cashered for Pesach. Many people, though, don't cashier plastic or rubber for Pesach, so there are different menhagim with this. And uh, glass, which includes Corel and Pyrex, can't be cashered. If a person is Sephardi, then glass actually doesn't even need to be cashered. Wood can be cashered. So that's as far as materials go. So now, what are the different kinds of forms of cashering? There are three forms of cashering. Number one is immersing something into boiling water. That's known as hagala, immersing something into boiling water. The second is pouring boiling, <laughs> excuse me, pour, pouring boiling water over something. That's called irui, pouring boiling water over something. Number three is uh, heating or burning, which is known as libon, which is using fire in the form of direct flame or using it an indirect flame, which would be heat, like an oven. That's libun. In the last category of libun, there are two kinds. One is known as the more stringent libun and then the more lenient libun. And we're going to discuss each one when it's necessary. So now, first let's clarify how each one is done, and then we'll apply them. So hagala, how do you do hagala? So to perform the type of hakashring of immersing in boiling water, important to know any pot could be used. That means you can use a fleshiga pot, you can use a milchiga pot, you can use a chametz pot. As long as that pot hasn't been used for the past 24 hours, you can use it, and whatever you kasher in there becomes parav and kosher pesach, right? So you're using a fleshiga pot that hasn't been used for 24 hours, and you kasher something in it, you can use that thing for milchigs, no problem. It merely doesn't make a difference what pot you use as long as the pot hasn't been used. For, um, for 24 hours. So the water then has to be brought, brought I'm sorry, to a roiling boil. The utensil being cashered has to be totally clean. That's an important, very important point. When you cashier anything, the utensil needs to be clean. And then what you do is you immerse it into the water, and it doesn't have to go in all at once, like if you have a very long... Uh, fork and like a serving fork and it doesn't all fit into the pot or you're trying to cashier a frying pan and it doesn't all fit into the pot at one shot. It doesn't have to. You can put half and then the other half. It's not like tzila. Tzila has to go in all at once. Cashering does not. You can cashier one half and then the other half and, or to thirds or to fifths, whatever you need to do to get as long as you end up with all surfaces being immersed. Uh, let's say you're trying to cashier silverware and you have like 30 forks that you're trying to cashier. So you just throw them in one after another. You don't have to wait. Just You shouldn't dump them all in together because that is that is somewhat problematic if they're touching each other as they're going into the water. So you're supposed to toss them in one at a time, but 
there really could be no wait time. So you could just toss one, two, three, four, so on and so forth. After you immerse them, the utensil is supposed to be washed off with cold water. So if you have tongs, you can pull it out of the boiling water and then rinse it off. If you don't, you can just wait for the water to cool down in the pot, turn it off, wait for it to cool down, and take out those utensils and rinse them off. But that is actually part of the cashing process. You're supposed to rinse it off. I'm okay, kosher, even if you don't. But you're supposed to rinse it off. And that's, uh, that, that's, that's the way this is done, Hagala. Now, I personally, the way I like to do it often, a very easy way to do it is to use a 9 by 13 or a, a roaster, aluminum roaster. And the advantage of this is that, first of all, it's a very wide uh, surface, so it's easier to fit big things into it. And also, the water heats up really, really quickly. I put the water into a 9 by 13 and put it directly onto the, the range, and it boils up very quickly and you know it's a big easy it's a big surface so it's very easy to fit things into it so that's another way you can do it. and then you certainly don't have to worry about milk flashing or hummus because that's uh, that's powerful that's a, that's one way to do hagal now the next thing is irui this form of pastoring as well this one I'm sorry this form of castoring as well any pot can be used as long as it hasn't been used in 24 hours you have to bring the water to a boil and then you take the water off the fire and you pour it over the surface or item that you're castoring here, too, the surface has to be totally clean, and every inch that has to be cashered needs to be poured on directly. It's not sufficient for the water to spread. That's already too, uh, it has to come straight from the pot. If it's not coming straight from the pot, then that's not called Eury anymore. So it has to come from the pot to the surface being cashered, being cashered. Now, it's important on Pesach to know that there's a more stringent form of doing this kind of pouring, which is known as Evan Maluban, which means you don't pour just from a pot onto the uh, onto the surface because sometimes it's not enough why is it not enough because once it leaves the pot it cools down somewhat and the item being cashered needs to have the full heat as if it was in the pot and then what we do is we use an evan maluban which is you take a anything that you can make hot the, the gemara was talking about a brick which is not so practical uh, what i use is like a metal wrench totally metal wrench obviously no rubber handle and i put that metal wrench on the coil, it becomes very, very hot. You pick it up with another pliers or tongs. Be very careful. And then you hold, it's better to do this with two people. One person holds that wrench. The other person pours the pot over the wrench so that even now that the water left the pot, it hits the wrench and it gets just as hot as it was back in the pot. You're like cooking it again out of the pot. And then when it hits the surface, it's basically as if you're doing hagala, which is a much stronger form of cashering. So sometimes it's necessary to do not just Iroi, but Iroi with an Evan Malubin. And we're going to discuss soon when it is that it's ideal to do this form of cashering. So again, we're talking about Iroi. Iroi is, is having the water boiling and then pouring it over the surface, touching each area that needs to be cashered. And sometimes it requires a Evan Malubin, which is a hot stone or a hot anything, to be held and you pour it over that item, then again, onto every area. The last form of cashering is burning or heating, which is libun, and there are two forms. The stringent form, which is libun chamer, is something that you would very, very rarely do at home. It's done in commercial area, you know, commercial kind of cashering, but it means that you would actually need to burn the item or surface with, with direct fire, intense heat, until it becomes red hot. And uh, 
you know, so you can set, the truth is self-cleaning an oven has that status. So obviously that we can do at home because it's safe. The ovens are designed to be self-cleaned. Or you can burn out a grill. If you like have a charcoal grill, you can pile coals on top of it and that'll be sufficient to capture it. But otherwise, it's usually not um, suggested to be done at home. It's dangerous. Uh, you can burn yourself and you generally will ruin whatever it is you're trying to capture. I, I've watched how professional mashgichim do it and you have to know what you're doing. The, the upside of this kind of casturing, although it's kind of intense, but you don't have to clean what you are casturing because you basically will be burning everything. So that that's makes this kind of casturing easier, but otherwise it's kind of difficult. The more common form of Libun is the lenient form, which is only Libun Kal, and that just means that you heat up an item or surface until it's hot enough to set like a piece of paper. If you would touch it to it, it's hot enough to set it on fire. And this temperature can usually be achieved by turning an oven on to its highest, like 500, 550, or 450 also, whatever the highest setting in your oven is. And whatever is in the oven will be kashered through Libun Kal. This form of kashering is equivalent to immersing in boiling water, Hagala. So you want to kasher your oven, it's kind of hard to pour water all over your oven or to immerse your oven into water. So luckily, we have this option of doing Libun Kal, which is turning on your oven into the highest, for about 45 minutes, as we'll, we'll speak, and that is equivalent to Libun Kal, and it, it'll cash your oven. So now let's, let's walk through the kitchen, and let's figure out what you need to do on each part of your kitchen. So counters, counters. So let's start with counters. Counters, really, the best thing to do is to cover them. It, it's just the easiest, and it's kind of it's difficult really to do anything else. If you do want to cash your counters, so first of all, you have to make sure they can be cashered. depends on what your counters are made out of. Um, Formica is obviously plastic, which is one issue when it comes to Pesach. Granite generally could be cashered. Sometimes granite is coated with a coating, a sealant, which makes it also questionable if it could be cashered. If it's silestone or other materials, also you do ask your shayla if it can be cashered. If you do want to cashier your counter, so here's the problem. According to the letter of the law, what Mr. Brewer actually says you, you need to do is he says you really need to do Eroy with an Evan Malubam, which means it's not enough just to pour water all over your counters. You have to pour it over a hat wrench, which obviously makes it that much harder. And it's also tedious to cast your counters. And the water goes all over the place, and you have to hit every area. And after a little while, you also have to stop and wipe down the counter because basically the whole counter is covered with water, which is cold also prevents it from working. So you have to like do a, lo- a long strip, stop, wipe it down, do another long strip. It's slow, it's tedious, and water gets all over the place. It's hard to do it properly. But if you're determined, you definitely can. L'chathchila should be done with an Evan Malubin. If you can't, or you don't think you'll do a good job, rather just do a regular Eroy, do it properly, and, uh, and that's fine. But again, I suggest for everybody that really the, the way to go is just to cover it. That's really the right way to do it. That's counters. The sink, the sink uh, if it's a um, stainless steel sink, it can be kashered. It should be kashered. Again, the best way to do it is with an Evan Malubin, with a wrench. Uh, here it's a lot easier. The water goes straight down the drain, and uh, it's not such a big surface, so it's really not so hard to get every area. You can heat up two pots of water. It's actually ideal to use smaller pots. They're easier to like deal with. So uh, you heat up some small pot, uh, two, two or three pots of water, as many as much as you need. Have someone else hold the wrench. And you just pour it and try to hit every area of the sink. And then you take the, the faucet, if it's you know, the kind that comes out, like a sprayer kind of faucet, you can just dip it directly into the pot when you're doing hagala, which is great. Uh, or you can pour water over it. Either way, it's fine. 
uh, that's how you capture it. If you have a porcelain sink, then you'll need to use a plastic insert. Uh, you should still pour hot water over the drain itself to capture the drain area. There is another way of capturing sinks. So, you know, there's a lot of exciting ways you can do it. You can use an immersion, immersion heater, but this is very, really not that complicated. This is a straightforward way of doing it. You heat up a couple of pots of water and you just pour it over the sink, try to get every area. Um, the oven. So the oven, as we said, you can self-clean it. That definitely works. And if you do that, it also saves you the trouble of really scrubbing it down. I mean, you should you should try to remove anything that you really see. Try to get that out of there. If it's going to catch fire if for no other if for no other reason. Um, but otherwise, the self-clean really does a good job, and that's enough. But if you don't have a self-clean, or for whatever reason your self-clean is broken, you don't want to use self-clean. You don't have to self-clean because really the only food that touches the actual oven is the steam or spills. And for both of those, you don't really have to do a self-clean. So it's enough to turn the oven onto its highest, which is the Lieblin cowl, and leave it on for about 45 minutes. The range. So if you have a gas range, so you, really the only thing that needs to be kashered is the range burners, not the round little caps, just the actual burner that the pot touches. Those things can be put into the oven for 15 minutes, again, when the oven's on its highest. And that's enough. You don't have to do anything more than that. You have, don't put it. You don't have to, and you shouldn't put it into the oven on self-clean. Not necessary. Just put it on to, into the oven on highest for 15 minutes, and you're good. And the rest of the uh, the range top should be covered with silver foil. If you have electric coils, just turn them on for a while. That's enough. And uh, if you have a glass cooktop, you have a problem, and I don't really have a solution. The, in that situation, really, the best thing to do is to buy a portable electric range. Uh, you can buy a double one and just put it on top of the glass burner, but otherwise I don't really have much of a solution how to make a glass cooktop kosher for Pesach. This week is Parshat Tzriya, as you said, it's also Parshat HaChaydash. And the Parsha begins with the halachas of a woman after childbirth. In the times of the Beis HaMikdash, a woman was tame for seven days after a boy and 14 days after a girl. And after that period of time, as a week for a boy and, a four, and two weeks for a girl, the woman will go to a mikvah. And from then until the end of the 40 days by a boy or 80 days by a girl, she was what was known as a tulia, meaning that she taught her regarding everything, but the besamikta she couldn't go into until the end of 40 or 80 days. And at the end of 40 or 80 days, she would then go to the Besamekdash, bring um, two birds as a carbon, and then she would be allowed to walk into the Besamekdash and bring the carbonus and be 100% tar. But as far as husband and wife were concerned, by a boy, they were tar after seven days, and by a girl, they were tar after 14. And later generations imposed the stringencies of, that we have today, you know, adding much more time. But in the time, according to the Torah, straight Torah, seven days, was enough by a boy and, and two weeks by a girl. Now, there's a question asked about childbirth. If you would think, you know, that childbirth is, is a time of tremendous kedusha, we're, we're celebrating the arrival of a, a new human being, a new yid into this world, and you would think that's the pinnacle of kedusha. So then, why is it then that the mother enters the realm of tumah? Should she rather, rather you think she should become holier through childbirth? And why is it that suddenly she become tummy. So I saw a very thought-provoking answer, and since it's brought in the Sefer, Divrei Chachamim, Yalke Divrei Chachamim, it's brought in the name of uh, Venachem Mendel of Katz, the Katzke Rebbe. So he quotes the Gemara, it's 
fascinating answer. He quotes the Gemara in the beginning of the Sechta's Tainus, which says that there are three things that a Kaddish Baruch Hu reserved for himself. And he doesn't let Malachim take care of it, doesn't let Al Yohanavi take care of it, he does it the Choyde Ba'atmai. And one of those three things is the, the keys of childbirth. Mafteche Leida, Mafteche Chaya, refers refers it. Uh, the keys of childbirth are kept by Hashem himself. He presides over labor and, deliver, labor and delivery. Once the baby is born, though, his presence departs. So therefore, the same way when a person passes away, the soul of a man departs, so Tumat descends. So, so too, when the divine spirit departs, when, when the Shekhinah leaves, Tuma ensues. It's a fascinating thought. I find it to be tremendously inspiring. You think about it. What it means is that during the most difficult times, the most painful and stressful and scary childbirth, Hashem's presence, the Shekhinah itself, is there, administering to us. He's the doctor, directly. He doesn't hand it over to any, any other Malach intermediary come in. And more so than any other time, the presence of Hashem is so intense that when it departs, the person becomes tame. That's how powerful the presence of Hashem is at that time. That's how holy that time is. After Yom Kippur, we don't become tame. <laughs> you know, there are, there are other times when we have, we're very close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and none of it comes close. They pay, They pale in comparison to the Kedusha that's around at the point of childbirth. So in that light, you can think of this Tumma a little differently. This Tumma is there for the express purpose of us recognizing the enormity of what just happened. We were Zecha to be in the presence of the Shekhinah. It departed. It's necessary to demarcate the difference between powerful Kedusha and the departure of that Kedusha. So, and therefore we have Tumma. The Tumma itself is actually part of the elevation which was brought about through the Kedusha of having the Shekhinah near us. This thought process led me to look at the two past parashiyas, this, this, I mean this week's parasha and the past parasha, in a different light. This week is parasha Sechardis, right? So we lay in the paragraph of the Torah where Kala Yisrael were commanded in their first mitzvah, which begins, you have this month, and they were commanded to bring the carbon Pesach. The significance of Hachadesh is obviously its literal meaning, newness or rebirth or renewal. Chadesh, Chadesh. Last week we laid Parshas Para, which teaches, teaches us about becoming Tahar. And that process was preparatory for Pesach, to become Tahar. And we go through the intensely difficult and complex process of Para Duma to purify ourselves from past Tuma and to become Tahar for Karban Pesach. Roshim Shempinkas explains, and he says like this, the cycle of the year we know, begins with Pesach. That's the first, Nisan is the first month of the year. And it continues until Purim. And then we begin that cycle once again. What does it begin with? This Pasha, Pasha Chodesh. That's the first real preparation for Pesach. Shabbos HaGadol and then Pesach. So where does Pasha's Purim fit in? It's kind of in between. Then it's in between the boundaries here. We finish Purim and Pesach is about to start. So what's Purim? What's the Paraduma becoming Tar? So he explains that when we want to build a new building, we have to clear the ground first. We have to level it so that we have a good surface to build upon. And that's what Pasha Para is about. We're becoming Tahar and we're like kind of removing the past so that we have a nice, clean, fresh place to start from. But in light of what we're saying, I think there's a slightly different spin on this. 
We're start, starting a new cycle, that's true. But a new cycle doesn't begin from nowhere. It's, be, it's built upon all that we've learned and grown and gained from the last year, from the past cycle. This Pesach is going to be radically different than the past years because we have a whole year of Yom and Taiwan and spiritual growth in our pockets. In order to appreciate that, there's a cool-down period, which is Tuma, and then we have Pasha's power to purify us so that we can now proceed to renewal and rebirth with the appreciation and empowerment of all that we've had until now. And if we appreciate it, we can build upon it. The Tuma that follows childbirth, it's there to hit us over the head and say, hey, do you realize what just happened? Do you realize where you just were and whose presence you just had the fortune to be in? And if we stop and think about that, how elevated and inspired we become, and then we benefit from the presence of Hashem and the Shekhinah because we appreciate it. And in addition, once we realize what we've accomplished, where we have come to, then we're inspired to start over because we can climb even higher. So the Tahara we perform with Para inspires us to grab the opportunity of HaChadosh to get a truly fresh start without being encumbered by past failures. In truth, many times after a period of great spirituality, tremendous inspiration, we experience like a downtime. After Yom Nerayim are over, sometimes we feel a little empty and far away from Kedusha. After the completion of something special, we're at a low. The Svarim have a name for this. They call it Lechem de Godless, Lechem de Katnus, and it's natural. And it's, but it serves an important purpose to demonstrate to us how high the Kedusha is. Through the times that we don't have that level of inspiration, we appreciate how powerful it is, and that motivates us to act upon and develop ourselves even further. During Pesach, there are truckloads of Ruchnis, and to appreciate what we're about to receive and to enable and empower us to utilize it to its utmost, what we really have to do is take this time to pause and reflect how much we've grown in the past year and how much we can still grow, and how wonderful the feeling of fulfillment we have when we perform the mitzvahs of the Seder and have such a beautiful yantif of Pesach. And that's the same purpose that the Tumah of childbirth served as well. It was this cool-down period to look back, appreciate the Kedusha we just had, and how that after we become Tar, we can utilize that Kedusha to go forward and to grow and to become greater. Have a good night and a wonderful Shabbos.